considerable uh, study on different words. One of these uh, we began last week was on heaven, and we began to study and come to uh, an understanding of the word heaven. And perhaps it would be good if we uh, continue on uh, with that thinking. I wonder, uh, we had uh, quite a far-ranging discussion last week. And I wonder if we had any, um, any questions that we raised that perhaps we haven't answered before we uh, launch off into our uh, study this morning. Did we raise any questions last week that we didn't answer? And uh, we, we ranged far afield in a number of different subjects. And... Um, uh, so we want to uh, help us to uh, uh, come to grips with anything that we've stirred up that we can't uh, bury. Uh, Tom? Yes. Well, the full range, uh, and uh, we're, not, we're not going to exhaust that study this morning, but the full range of all that God's doing uh, and intends to do uh, is, to, to my opinion, not been revealed in the Word. In other words, we see glimpses and we have enough uh, that He wants us to know, but the full range of the eternal plan uh, is not unfolded. And uh, we do know that we're, there's a period of ruling and reigning, uh, upon the earth, but Corinthians gives us a glimpse of one uh, thing, and it says that uh, when um, uh, he shall have uh, finished, First uh, Corinthians 15, then he'll deliver up the kingdom to the Father, uh, that God may be all in all. And so there's a, an overall eternal plan that God has, and that's, uh, that's not clear in my mind. I just really don't know, brother. I know that New Jerusalem is going to come, and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and there's going to be a complete renovation, but as far as the spelling out of all of it, uh, is not given us to know. The reason is, is because we don't need to know. But that's a good question. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Did we, uh, did we trigger your thinking? Uh, we, uh, we talked about the dwelling place of God. We talked about, uh, didn't we end on the relationship of heaven to earth? And that's that where we came to rest uh, along about their relationship of heaven to earth and we, we talked uh, concerning several things and uh, we had uh, several scriptures that we gave uh, concerning the workings of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in this present age that will find fulfillment in the succeeding ages and um, uh, I gave you Ephesians 1, 3, didn't I? Ephesians 2, 6. Somebody help me if, if, I, if we didn't because I don't remember where we stopped last week. Did we have those scriptures last week? Wave at me. Somebody's awake this morning. We did not have those. Okay. Uh, we, uh, we stopped with the throne of God, did we? Revelations uh, 4.2, Revelation 20.11. Okay. There is a relationship of heaven to earth, and um, uh, this has to do with the work of re redemption. Uh, this has to do with salvation. And uh, we might uh, ought to touch on that. And I feel that it's important that we, we range around and we come, uh, come to grips with another thought here. And uh, perhaps uh, we'll uh, come and nail this down. I want Ephesians 1, 3 and Ephesians 2, 6. Uh, would someone like to get Brother Van Dyke, Ephesians 1, 3. Tom Thompson, Ephesians 2, 6. I want Philippians 3, 20. Someone get for me Philippians 3, 20. 
Brother uh, Danny Brown. I want Luke 10, 20. Uh, Sam Atkinson, I want Luke 11, 2. Randy Foster. And uh, uh, you'll find in study that there's a unique relationship that begins to uh, be seen between heaven and earth. In other words, uh, earth is not just another planet that's, uh, that's floating through space, but it is a particular, a unique, and a wonderful place upon which God is at work in His wonderful plan and His glorious redemptive workings. And so there is a relationship in the present hour. Uh, in other words, earth is not just simply divorced by itself and has no relationship to heaven. But we find that through uh, even the beginning of the work of Genesis, and we see the revelation of God's creative power, that God began to work there, began to work with man. Uh, tremendous. Uh, we've touched on some of the words that are used there, that uh, man is uh, given dominion. He's uh, told to, uh, to uh, uh, multiply and replenish the earth. He's given dominion over the earth. He's given a relationship that is unique. And then we saw in other studies how that relationship was destroyed. Man sinned, rebelled. The evil one uh, sought to destroy the work of God and so on and so forth. But God is not finished with earth. And simply because the devil has disrupted, as it were, a part of his creation, God still has a particular purpose and a unique work to accomplish upon the earth, through the earth, and through the creatures of the earth. And we see him related uh, in that present hour, and, and this is uh, in the teachings of the kingdom of God and the, and the kingdom of heaven, both synonymous terms. And uh, we see that God, uh, at this present hour, even though Jesus has not come, even though the millennium has not come, even though New Jerusalem has not come, that, that there is a relationship between earth and heaven in this present hour, in that God's government is at work upon the earth today as being manifested through the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is at work in the present hour. Ephesians 1, 3. Let's touch on several scriptures. And we want to breeze over this briefly because I want to come to grips with something else this morning. We who are on earth, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a present reality to be fulfilled in the future to be true, but that is a present reality that we have blessings now in the kingdom of God and we have resources at our disposal as the church of Jesus Christ, and this is in the present hour. And so there's a present relationship that God's government is being manifested and His working is being expressed through the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.6 And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the second Adam, uh, in the fulfillment of the plan of redemption and the victory of the cross and in the vindication of that fact by the resurrection from the dead, sealed that fact, ascended into heaven and is set down on the right hand of God. And the resources that was wrought in Calvary are presently being dispensed unto them that believe and will avail themselves of the resources. Okay, Ephesians 3.20, or Philippians, rather, 3.20. For our walk or our conduct. 
is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, even Jesus Christ. See, there's a relationship. These are words that mean there's a relationship right now which we sustain with heaven. Okay? Uh, Luke ten twenty. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, another scripture says. We are registered. We are legal residents. Glory to God of heaven. Our capital city, our resources, our government, uh, our orders come from heaven. We are responsible to heaven. We answer to heaven. Okay? And uh, we won't pursue that any further at the moment. Luke 11, 2. And when praying, say, Our Father which is in heaven, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are those that bring to pass the will of God on earth now. This is through whom God expresses and through his working. So what we've said in this relationship is the appropriating the resources of heaven into the present reality and heaven's resources become available now. You might write down these scriptures, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, and Philippians 4, 17 through 19, and Colossians 3, 1 through uh, 4. Okay, I think it would be well that we uh, uh, just take uh, time this morning to, because there's such a tremendous activity in the world today and there's so much talk, writing, and uh, inquiry into uh, the unseen realm. This is manifested in the occult and the, uh, the false religions and so on and there are tremendous uh, statements being made. Reader's Digest, all your uh, uh, modern publications, uh, newspapers are dealing with the afterlife. And so it might be well that we... Uh, uh, that we uh, think about uh, where the dead are now. That might be something. There's a book back there that uh, Phil Payson had some copies. It's put out by Rex Humbard. It's an excellent exposition. And uh, we can't sell these, but if you'd like to give an offering for the work of the Lord, why, uh, they're back there. And uh, uh, it would help you in some of the subjects that we're going to talk about this morning. And so... Uh, we need to uh, just consider for a moment, because we touched on that, and we want to touch on it again. Where are the dead? What happens when a believer dies? What happens when an unbeliever dies? Where does the believer go? Where does the unbeliever go? Where are the dead? Gallup says that 70% of Americans believe in an afterlife. But the kind of afterlife, the quality of afterlife, and their convictions concerning the afterlife vary into tremendous and, and uh, grotesque understanding. Praise the Lord. We're into uh, spiritualism, uh, much of spiritualism being propagated by our uh, communications media, people who supposedly have died, or at least they're in some kind of transcendent state, and uh, so they are uh, uh, having uh, some kind of experiences and they're putting these down, and uh, the devil is at work, the great okey-doke, big overdose is, uh, is on its way right now. Sell the public a bill of goods 
uh, and uh, that uh, there's something different than what the Bible says that maybe death isn't so bad after all. And so when things get too rough, why well, just take a gun, blow your brains out, and you'll probably be better off. It's a big lie. See, it's happening all the time, and especially young people. Uh, those under the age of 30 are those that are most, uh, are most uh, victimized by this, and they're probably not a living human being at one time or another that has had a tremendous impulse to do the very same thing. It does not come. That's one of the easiest demons to get deliverance over, even long range and long distance. It's a demon of suicide. That's exactly what it is. Lying to the souls of men and saying to them, uh, why don't you just end it all and you'll be better off. That's a lie from the pit of hell and, uh, and it's not come from God and neither is it true. Uh, who is it? Uh, John Paul Sartre, a Frenchman, and he, he's actually the father of the philosophy of the now generation, the generation that cannot wait. And I have a quotation from him. He says, Only what we realize in the immediate present is significant and has meaning. Distant goals have no validity. Therefore, to sacrifice the present for the future is nonsensical and stupid. Out of this philosophy came the now generation. But you see, that generation is also the generation that the highest suicide rate in history because they lived in the now generation. They filled themselves with every desire, uh, the flesh and the mind, and when they saw that there's no fulfillment of that in despair, they're taking their lives by multiplied thousands. That's a result of not having an eternal perspective from God's Word. So let's come to grips with where are the dead. Let me... Let me give you a little background from this book. I have a couple of quotes. Prevailing views of some of the ancients, the ancient Hellenistic or Greek world of the Greeks preceding the birth of Christ was one of acceptance. And here are a number of thoughts from that. The attitude is illustrated in the classic words of the philosopher Socrates. Just before he drank the hemlock, forced on him by Athenian justice, and he said, The time has come for me to go away. I go to die and you to live. But which of us goes to the better lot is known to none but God. Now, here's a man that is noted for his philosophy, but when he came to the end of his life, he said, I don't know. Okay? I want to know. <laughs> Praise God. We're talking about eternity. No second chances. If you're wrong, man, it's bad, bad news. Okay. After a lifetime of philosophical quest, Socrates really did not know whether he would be better off dead or alive. And this seems ironic since it was Socrates who had declared, for is not philosophy the study of death. To Socrates and the intellectuals of his time, death was a great liberator that loosens the soul from its prison in the body and leads it back to its eternal home. But of this eternal home, they knew nothing. Plato, the student of Socrates, had another strange view of death and immortality. He believed that although the body died and disintegrated, the soul lived forever, and he said that after death the soul migrates to what he called the realm of the pure forms. There exists without a body contemplating the forms. After time, according to the Greek philosopher, the soul is reincarnated in another body and returns to earth. That's becoming very popular at the present time. We'll remark on that later. A few centuries after the golden age of the Greek philosophers, Roman thought added a new dimension to ideas concerning death. Cicero. The famous writer said, After death we shall for the first time truly live. And the Roman politician Gaius Caesar, on the other hand, declared with the fatalism of the barbarian tribes, Beyond this life there's no place for either trouble or joy.
Praise the Lord. I have another quote someplace. Where are the dead? Uh, early Greeks said the dead went to the islands of the blessed to wait a judgment by three representatives from the lower world. If a dead individual had been a good person, and the three judges decided his worth, they gave him a pass to the Elysian field. But what if they didn't give you the pass, man? Wow. That's a grabber, isn't it? He's like, take a great leap in the dark. See, I'm too much of a skeptic to gamble. <laughs> Amen. I've been around, man. I've been burnt by a lot of things, and I want to know. Okay. There, according to their mythology, the dead would be in a land of song and sunlight where the air was sweet and cool. The good soul lived there forever among the simple joys of flowers and uh, meadows. Other world religions see the abode of the dead differently. The early Romans imagined eternity to be a shadowy mirror of this life. Muslims see the dead as being rewarded or punished after they die. And the Hindus and Buddhists say that souls are born again and again until a soul achieves at last eternal bliss. This purging is supposed to be done by transmigration of souls or reincarnation. That is, after death, the soul goes into the bodies of lower animals or the bodies of other human beings. According to the doctrine of transmigration, the soul passes from one body to another until it's purified. It's then allowed uh, to return to the dwelling place of the gods. Buddhists call this place nirvana, while the Brahmanic uh, uh, Hindu says the soul joins Brahman, the universal power. Well, uh, yek. <laughs> Let's turn to the Bible. Luke 16. See, these guys are speculators. See, I want to, I want to talk to somebody that knows. Amen. Luke 16. And I'd like for somebody to get for me Matthew 25, 46. Who will get that for me? Tom Thompson, Sam Atkins. Will you get for me Matthew 25, 41? Brother Van Dyke, would you get for me Revelations 20:13? I'd like Matthew 25:30. Randy Foster. I want to know. Okay, here we have a passage in the Scripture. Now this is a scripture, a passage that we uh, uh, we can do several things with. We can either uh, say I don't like this; it makes me nervous. Or we can try to explain it away. Or we can just uh, take a razor blade and right there at the 19th verse, we can just make an incision. Cut that out and, uh, and say, uh, uh, I don't want that. Or we can just read it and say, I wonder what it is that God is saying there. Now you'll notice specifically that it does not say this is a parable doesn't say, I want to tell you a story that will uh, be a figurative uh, allusion to some spiritual facts. It doesn't say that um, uh, this is a philosophy that uh, some people believe. But it does say, and this is a direct quotation, according to those who lived in his day, one being Luke, who quotes Jesus Christ, not me, 
not my church or organization, but he quotes Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ said, there was a certain rich man. Now, he could have named him by name because he's talking about a particular person. We have that established? Okay, let's take a look at this fellow who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He names Lazarus. The reason I know this was a real man, because if it wasn't, he would have named. Are you with me? He names Lazarus. He's not ashamed of Lazarus. He's not afraid of embarrassing the descendants of Lazarus because Lazarus went to heaven. But he didn't want to make it uneasy for the relatives of these that were there. And so those of you who know the workings of the Holy Spirit, you begin to recognize some certain traits. Lazarus, who was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. This is the Old Testament place of the saved saints. Abraham's bosom. The saved or the, the, the rich man also died and was buried. You'll notice a cleavage right there. Completely different. Two different destinies. Do all the dead go to the same place? Not at all. See, even the basic, uh, fundamental searcher can come to grips with that without any... You don't have to be any Bible scholar to see that fact. We see two different people in destiny after life, don't we? Okay. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell, or Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus. Then he dipped the tip of his finger in water and cooled my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that they who would pass from here to you cannot. See, we find another fact, don't we? No change of status. Mark that down. Neither can they pass to us, that would come from there. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. Man, he's getting religious now. Evangelism grips his soul. <laughs> For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now that is a powerful statement. And one that we cannot shrug aside. Are you still with me this morning? Okay, let's catch a couple, three other scriptures before we open for discussion. Matthew 25, 46, some similar language concerning the eternal state of those that are lost. These shall go away into everlasting punishment. The same word that is used for everlasting life is used for everlasting punishment. Now, this lays to rest immediately the extinction theory. 
For if we believe that we have everlasting life, then it's the identical word. It's the same word. Everlasting life says that these shall go into everlasting life. He that uh, believeth shall have everlasting life. And it's the same word as everlasting punishment. Okay, you can mark that down. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, and everlasting fire, prepared before the devil and his angels. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for who? Not men or mankind, but prepared for the devil and his angels, but into which men shall come, if the word of God means anything. Okay, let's have another one. Revelation twenty thirteen. This is the last white, uh, great uh, white throne judgment, and the next verse talks about the cast into the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone. On down through that passage of scripture. Okay, Matthew twenty five thirty. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, they shall be uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here we find another descriptive statement. Okay. Now, let's share one more scripture, and then we're going to open it for our uh, discussion. Hebrews 9.27. Anybody quote that for me? All right, Sam, would you want to do that? Hebrews 9.27. You ought to have this memorized. What? Want to read, read that for us? Hebrews 9.27. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this a judgment. Once to die, but after this the judgment. See, those are final words. Once to die. Not 14,000 times in the billions of centuries to come. We will be reincarnated. See, they're picking up a scripture term now, a Bible term, uh, the, the born-again term. Ask somebody if they've been born again. Said, yeah, I've been born again 14 times. I was a cat, horse, dog, now I'm a, now I'm a people. Well, that's, uh, that's appropriation of a spiritual term that's used in the scripture and uh, is not really true to, uh, to that and the scripture says plainly one word, doesn't it? Once, and then after this, the judgment. Praise God. Permanent state. And uh, that permanent state is either to well-being or lostness. It's either to heaven, which we'll get the scripture for in a moment, or to the state of damnation. We saw that there in the scripture in Luke 16. See two different estates. We see a lostness. We see a, a, a salvation. And we see a sealing. And we see a, a permanence. This is borne out in the other scriptures. There's no purgatory that your relatives are going to pray out of, pay you out of, con you out of, talk you out of. There's no such thing described in the Word of God. We're talking about permanence. 
We're talking about once. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about a final state. The degrees of the savedness get better in the resurrection and the degrees of the lostness get worse in the resurrection. One to the resurrection unto life eternal. One unto the resurrection of damnation. When death and hell give up the dead and in the resurrected state they're cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, uh, to be tormented forever and forever with the devil and his crowd. Now those are not words that make me feel good or make me feel happy, but this is the declaration, the clear description of the Word of God. Let's open the, the discussion this morning for whosoever will. Sister. Yeah. Now, the question is, the reason for the judgment, uh, so that they'll know why they go to hell. They already know why they go to hell, but, but, but God's justice will be vindicated. Revelation 20 says the book will be opened, uh, books will be opened, and men will be faced with their deeds. And, 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 and the scripture says that every tongue will be stopped, just with, with speechless. You go, you go to hell, yes. The place of the lost, the place of departed, lost, or to heaven. Scripture reveals no waiting. Jesus didn't say anything about any waiting. Did he say anything about waiting? Let's 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 look at it. Luke sixteen, okay. Rich man also died and was buried. Uh, uh, semicolon. That's the only waiting there is to catch your breath to say the next word. <laughs> and in hell. Yes, justice will be vindicated and every mouth. No, no argument. There it is. You see, we have tremendous capacity. The, even, uh, even medical science can, can electronically... They can do this. Like a, like a moving picture. I don't know if you know this. Now, if this is so, how much more God See, not only that, there, there, uh, I've, I've preached on this sometime. Uh, there's been uh, television programs that were beamed out that have suddenly, uh, I've got one that some 15 or 16 years later was picked back up on a set and shown and people called in by the droves and said, what on earth is an English television program? And they said, that, that, that show is shown nowhere and is a freak of, uh, of, uh, of, of nature. And here it came back and showed. If this is true in the, in the natural realm, how much more in, in, in the spiritual realm? Everything that we do goes out and is a, is, a, is a part. And brother, we need lots of saving. Hallelujah. We need a miracle from heaven. Glory to God. If we're ever going to make heaven our home, God's going to have to do something for creatures like you and I. And He has. Thank God. All right. That judgment is going to be the recounting. Of the life that we lived, unless we're saved. If we're saved, 
our names are read. It says, Connie Kerner Jones. Don't bother among the redeemed. Standing here is a testimony of all those that would believe God. That answer your question, Connie? Did I embarrass you? Then why is your face red? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, Gail? Yes. Not glorified bodies, but resurrected bodies. I've taught in this in a previous session that uh, hell is not, is not the final punishment because the full uh, manifestation of man's deeds cannot be done until he is resurrected at the res resurrection of damnation. And that's when the, the body, soul, and spirit is reunited for eternal punishment. That's what the Word of God declares. That's the resurrection of damnation. See, hell is, a, is an intermediate state of torment. Uh, it's a place that is there until God's final economy is finished. Okay. This what? Won't be like that. No, it'll be a resurrected body, but a resurrection of damnation. Immortal. Yes, just as you and I who are saved. It's wonderful to be saved and to receive the blessing of our salvation now. But, but boy, there's lots more ahead. Thank God. Amen? I'm glad I'm saved. I enjoy the, the Christian life and living for God and all the blessings that He gives and uh, the victories. But this is not our final estate. When that trumpet blows and the Lord then changes this vile body to be fashioned like unto His glorious body. And then we begin to receive the full reward of all that He has for us in a resurrected state. Praise God. That help you? Sister Gina. Hell and the lake of fire are two different places. The lake of fire is the final judgment and spoken of in Revelation 20. Yes. Uh, Kathy? Abraham's bosom is paradise, which was the place of, of blessing of Old Testament saints, those who were godly, those who believed, those who had faith, those who availed themselves of God's salvation. And uh, uh, when Jesus arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave, then paradise was taken into heaven. Let a great host of uh, led captivity captive and ascended into heaven taking with him those who are saved. And at that moment, the, the status was changed. As far as the saved, they began to receive the heaven that was theirs. No, that scene has changed. That's the Old Testament. But when Jesus came, you see, he descended into hell. And he arose with the keys of death, hell, and the grave and ascended. Ephesians 4, 8 through uh, 12 says that he ascended 
and he took captivity captive and he took with him those saved of God when he ascended. Praise God. I'm, we'll be knowledgeable about that, but I'm not. Uh, but but you see, you're looking at it from a human perspective, and that is that we're going to spend our time just watching people in hell. That's God has far greater things for you and I, and uh, and uh, that's a terrible thing. And, and we, we to even talk about it, we're talking about something uh, that uh, that brings a a sorrow and a weeping to our heart, because we're talking about reality. And I I think that um, positive we'll be knowledgeable about it just as God is knowledgeable about it, just as Jesus saw it. But we're not going to spend our time doing that in eternity, no. We know about it now, but we don't spend our time involved with that now. We do use it as an urgency to do the work of God. Amen. See, this is why altar calls are given in this church. This is why our people out witnessing uh, uh, try to bring people to decision is because people are lost. Now, if they're not lost, then later we have a philosophy that we're just one lifestyle and this lifestyle and that lifestyle, but we do not believe the Bible teaches that. People are lost, friend. And that's why we allow an opportunity. See, it's becoming very popular today to say, well, thank God we got delivered from the altar call. Well, God love you. You'll be delivered of a lot of other things if the devil keeps on having his way in your life. Altar calls are the places that people make a decision for eternity. And I don't know what kind of experience you've had, but, beloved, I've seen people saved by the hundreds. I saw them changed by the power of God. I saw a miracle wrought in their soul. I saw prostitutes become clean women. I see drunkards delivered, dopers changed, people with filth and iniquity changed in a moment's time as they prayed the sinner's prayer. You be careful how you make light of what God does. Now, if you can do it better while they're swinging from the roof, or if you can do it better while they're hid back in a back room, get it on. But I like what God does. And I haven't found any better process, and when I find a better one, then I'll use it. But until then, I like altar calls. That's where people publicly make a decision while the Spirit of God has got their, His hand upon their heart and they're feeling that awful thing of eternity and they feel the love of God. That's the time to let the Spirit of God seal it. The nail's driven in. Now take the hammer, nail it over, and clinch it so they can't pull it back out. And the devil can't, when they go out, say, Well, you just got emotional in there. It just hypnotized you. This help you, Kathy? Praise the Lord. Sister Cole. For you, he's going to do that, sister. But see, we're thinking from a natural mind. And, and so when, when you start talking about heaven, you don't figure it out from a natural mind. We need go beyond what the Bible declares and what we can understand. Sister? Romans 1. God will judge them according to righteous judgment. 
But the sad fact of it is, they're lost, see? And that's why the urgency of preaching the gospel. God's a, God is a, is a righteous judge. But if people are not lost, then leave them alone. But see, we know that they are lost. Amen. Yes. The problem is, is that we creatures do know, and we don't do it still. That's what the problem is. That's why we need salvation. They're not any poor, ignorant people, sister. This is what the whole problem is and what God has settled in the Word of God. He took the human race and measured them out and said, here's an illustration. He took the human race and the nation of Israel. He gave them ten simple statements. So that's all you have to do. And you'll have everlasting life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not to lie. You're not steal. You're not kill. You're not murder. So this is all you have to do. And what does history say concerning that example of the human race? What does it say? Quote me a scripture. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Another one. All we like sheep have gone astray. None righteous, no, not one. One more. Not a just man on the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. See, that's the urgency of the gospel of God's salvation. Don't let anybody swing you from the urgency of evangelism. Reaching people with the love of God. Men are lost, friend. And I mean they are really lost. Praise the Lord. We're getting sidetracked. Okay, back to what happens. Um, the saved. Let's talk about the saved. And we're not going to get through. I can already see that right now. <laughs> Praise God. I have a, I have a book. Uh, I told you a while back that we, uh, uh, that, uh, we were interviewed by a, uh, a local author. And he wrote a book on the occult. And uh, it is just a tremendous uh, testimony for the gospel. And a whole chapter of it is given to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he wanted to hear what a Pentecostal minister had to say about reincarnation. And so I told him. <laughs> and so uh, it's quite interesting. He, uh, he slanted it. And uh, next week I'll share that with you. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, get some uh, good amusing insight. But there's an entire chapter given to the, a Pentecostal minister's viewpoint of the occult and hypnosis and reincarnation. And uh, it just is just, uh, uniquely interesting. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Okay, let's, uh, we, we, we're going to talk about that next week because reincarnation is one of the great uh, subjects of our, our day. Uh, at death, we want to talk about the saved. At death, an immediate estate. Uh, I want John 14, 1 through 2. I want some new hands over here. Somebody else got your Bibles. Mark Hamilton, John 14, 1 and 2. I want Philippians 1, 21 through 24. Uh, Phil Payson, Philippians 1, 21 through 24. I want 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Bill uh, Troxel. I want 2 Corinthians 12, 3 and 4. Uh, Jill uh, Conley. 2 Corinthians 12, 3 and 4. The saved. At death, what happens to them? The saved at death. What happens to them? Do they just go to sleep? Well, there's a figurative sleeping as far as the body is concerned, but we're going to find very, very quickly that there is a conscious existence taught 
in the Word of God. And the sleep that is used figuratively in several scriptures has to do with the body sleeping until the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, until 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, the trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise. But we find that there is a conscious existence immediately and the saved will find their place in heaven uh, where God's throne is, where Jesus is. John 14, 1 and 2. Loud, real loud. John 14, 1 and 2. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will return again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This encompasses all the range of the saved and the resurrection, but nevertheless the statement is there. Philippians 1, 21 through 24. I have a desire, Paul said, and it, uh, it pulls at me. Uh, he said, uh, for me to stay here is, is advantageous for you, and I really would like to do that. But he said, I have another desire, and that desire is to depart and be with Jesus, to be with Christ. See, he's getting on up in years now. He said, oh, I, I'm saved. And, I, and he said, I, I really have a longing to depart this life and to be with Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Okay? To be absent from the body for a believer is to be present with the Lord. Praise God. What happens? Where are the dead? Those who died in Jesus are with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12, 3 and 4. Okay, here now we find the paradise is up. It's in heaven. Praise the Lord. And Paul caught up there uh, to the presence of the Lord. Okay, we find this is a conscious existence. I want several more scriptures. New people. Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6. Deuteronomy 34. Rodney Mathis. Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6. 2 Kings 2, 11. Uh, Jerry Miller. 2 Kings 2, 11. Matthew 17, 3. Chuck Richardson. Hebrews 12, 1. Uh, Margaret uh, Culver. A conscious existence. It's not just a, a disembodied state that we are floating somewhere in an ethereal uh, substance in eternity without, uh, without uh, personhood, without uh, conscious uh, knowledge, without functioning, but we are actually doing something. We are somewhere. We have abilities. We have uh, sense knowledge in the spirit realm and this description is used of us in uh, the Word of God. Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6. 
Okay, here's Moses. He died. He's buried. And, uh, and we don't even know where he's buried, they say. But look at Matthew 17, verse 3. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. But there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Knowledge, communication, voice, discussion. Still with me? Okay. This is some thousands of years later. So then we find that uh, this is not exactly the way some people would have it to be, is it? In other words, this sleep for the believer is a sleep of the body, not a sleep of the being. All right, let's go on. Second Kings two eleven. Okay, here's Elijah. He's one of the peculiar Old Testament saints that were translated. He didn't even die. He's translated. He didn't go to sleep somewhere. What? Here we find him talking with Jesus. Matthew 17. All right? Hebrews 12, 1. Hebrews 12, 1, Paul says, Therefore, see... We are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us run the race with patience, uh, considering him who went before us and on and on, looking unto Jesus the author. That's, that was Hebrews 12, written after Hebrews 11, when he calls the roll of all the saved who paid with their lives, some of them for their testimony of, of, the, of the living God. And he says, all these people now, and, and he uses a particular uh, of, uh, figure of uh, speech there as if you and I were athletic performers in a great um, uh, stadium. And as if we were performing in this Christian life as if we were running a race. And he says, here we are. We're running and the stands aren't empty. He said, oh, I know you can't see anybody as you're living your life there and you're struggling and you're running the, the Christian life and, and going for God. And you say, nobody knows, nobody understands. I'm just out here in Podunk Center, Kentucky, and just laboring away and nobody ever sees me and I don't have any notoriety and nobody ever wrote a newspaper article about me and my district supervisor don't understand where I am and I'm praying in the closet and, and uh, here I am and, uh, and so I am. He says, listen, <laughs> do you know that the Old Testament saints are eyeballing you? watching your performance and cheering you on. Glory to God. And every victory, the stands go wild. <laughs> Hats and popcorn boxes. Glory to God. Amen. Fisher made a touchdown. He said no to the devil. Cutter's still going on. Cutters round in the bend. Glory to God. The, the stands are going wild. Do you believe that? I believe that. 
I don't think they're just up there sitting around a banquet table eating turkey and chicken and licking their chops and saying, how's Thompson doing? Say, ah, well, we'll check on him someday, but man, this is neat. <laughs> Praise God. Glory. Man, there's a preaching spirit in here. We're going to have a service today. Does this, does this excite you? Isn't it, isn't it wonderful what the Word of God really does say? Is that difficult to understand? Does this seem too deep to discover? Amen. Theologians are those precious fellows who have the capability of making simple truths hard to understand. Simple statement of the Word of God. Now, when we see those things, you see, I, I picked up the, uh, the Arizona Republic yesterday, and so here's some fellow, uh, his uh, new thought. New thought. <laughs> yes, amen. Lucifer said, hey, I got something new. Solomon said, anything new under the heavens. New thought. Well, he's just another uh, apostate unbeliever coming across with some new things. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, so one of his statements was that hell not really what it says it is in the Bible. Well, uh, I tell you, <laughs> I'd rather believe the Word because I know the one that wrote this and I don't know anything about that fellow. Amen? See, I'm acquainted with the one that wrote this. And becoming acquainted with him, he changed my life from uh, just some awful things to joy and peace, peace of mind, freedom from guilt, clean feeling inside. And uh, I'm willing to believe it like it's written. And there's a law concerning spiritual language. So he says, okay, hell is just a, a spiritual or figurative or... And they use all kinds of, uh, of uh, words to, to try to destroy the facts. And what, but there's a law of spiritual language. And that law of spiritual language is always from the lower or the lesser to the higher. The only time that spiritual language is used is, is because we cannot understand the higher that is there. In other words, there's a greater truth. And so if Jesus describes hell in the language that he held, thirsting, remorse, torment, fear, uh, anguish, then if this is the words that he described them in, brother, you can know that the reality is far worse than that. That's always a law of figurative language. We've got time for about two, three questions. Let's have at it. Praise the Lord. We're going to finish next week, but we're not through with this. Sister Burgess. Okay, that's a spiritual language, a figurative language. And he's talking about the ministry of Elias or Elijah. And incidentally, this fellow asked me this same question in, in this book, which we'll come to grips with next week. And, uh, and Jesus said, concerning John the Baptist, he said, they said, why do they say that Elias or Elijah must first come? And Jesus said, he's already come. But if you're receiving, 
Here's the ministry of, of, of Elijah spoken of, and that ministry is fulfilled in John the Baptist, if you receive it. And that's written in the Word of God. This is clear as you can... I mean, just as plain as it can see. He said, you didn't receive him. And then it's, and it says, but he said this concerning John the Baptist. Okay. Uh, Al Azot. Yes. Lost uh, uh, undoubtedly has several degrees, but lost is lost. Good observation, Al. Someone else? Uh, Sister Jill? Yeah, I don't either. We're going to have to ask about that when we... Uh... <laughs> yes, amen. Lots of things that, that uh, I'm... Uh, that I'm uh, really curious about. One of them is how come I got saved. But, uh, but I just, uh, all, all we do is come to grips with what's there and say, praise God. That that I do understand, as Mark Twain says, it's not what I do understand about the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do understand. It's what I don't understand, he said, about the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do understand. And so uh, that's a good question. I don't know, sister. And if, and if I said anything, I'd have to purely speculate. And when we speculate, us human creatures, our imagination gets loose with us and we get in trouble. Margaret, uh, I had a hand back there somewhere. Oh, I didn't. Okay. Another hand. Uh, Sister Van Dyke. We, we walk by faith and not by sight. What we have experienced, we do know if it's in accordance with the Word of God. And what we don't know, we take by faith. We walk by faith, and you will never come to the place of spiritual growth that you are not having to walk by faith. Take God at His word. There's no place that you finally have arrived. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I have far more... Uh, uh, I, God is a greater mystery to me today than He was when I saved about a year. When I saved about a year, I'd read this, I'd read this book through about three times.